gentlemen. It's good to be back. I appreciate your patience. I was traveling for a couple of weeks. But I'm glad that we're able to have a, uh, a special session right before the great holiday of Purim. Amen. I do intend to reveal a great secret tonight to our members in connection to the upcoming holiday. I also want to make it clear that I've been overseas for a week and uh, my time is two o'clock in the morning on my watch. So I might be a little uh, jet lag, so I'm a little rusty, so I do apologize from the onset that if I'm a little sluggish, it's only because of uh, the traveling that I've been, uh, been doing the past couple of weeks. But nonetheless, that's not your problem, that's my problem. All right, introduction. Now the introduction that I'm gonna give you tonight is a bit technical, and I know and nobody likes technical stuff. Everybody just likes their stories and that are short, you know, technical stuff you can leave for, uh, for somewhere else. But in order for the darash to be complete, I need to set it up correctly. <clears throat> so there's, uh, there's, two different types of calendars that exist in the world. One is what we call the Jewish calendar, and then we have the secular calendar, or they're called the Gregorian calendar, exactly. January, February, March, April, which is the calendar of the Goyim. That is a big difference between the two calendars, in the sense that our calendar is what's called a lunar calendar. It's based on the cycle of the moon, and the moon has a cycle of 29 days, the moon starts very, very small and then grows till you get to the middle of the month. That's the 15th when it's a full moon. That's when all the lunatics come out. And then, that's what they call lunatics, because the moon over makes them crazy. And then uh, the moon gets a little smaller until it disappears. So our months follow that cycle. It's 12 months, and one month is 29 days, one month is 30. Because the cycle of the moon is really 29 and a half days, so therefore they go back and forth, 29, 30, 29, 30, and we have a lunar year which is 354 days. Now, I know they taught you in school that a year is 365, not our year. The Jewish year is 354 days. Now, I know some of you are, you know, very precise. It's really not 354, to be honest with you. It's 354 point five three two in other with some points after it and I know they told you in mathematics that if you have 354.5 you're supposed to round it off to 355 so it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that there's 355 days to the Jewish year incidentally the Hebrew word for year is Shana Sheen Nun he numerically equals 355 for that reason, because that's the amount of days that are in the year. Shana is the amount of Yamin. It's fine, but we're going to say 354 because that's the number that it is. Leave the point five, whatever it is. <clears throat> the Goyim, they have a secular calendar. It's a solar calendar. It's based on the cycle of the sun 
how many times it takes, or how long does it take the sun to make one full revolution, or the earth to make one full revolution around the sun. It's a big argument in science, what's moving? Is the sun moving around the earth, the earth moving around the sun? I won't go into that mahluk uh, now, you can go to the planetarium and they'll give you a whole derash on that. <clears throat> but the point is, it's a 365 day cycle. Finish. January to January is 365 days. Solely year. Now, there's an 11 day difference between the two calendars. 354, 365, there's an 11 day difference. And that's why we're always lagging the secular calendar by 11 days. And that's why our holidays are always moving back. Because it was 11 days back, 11 days back, 11 days back. This year, for example, Rosh Hashanah was the beginning of September. Now, if we're not going to make an adjustment from time to time, the holidays are just going to keep on moving back and back and back. And you'll have Rosh Hashanah at the beginning of July. We can't do that because you'll ruin the summer. So therefore, we don't want to... It's, it's enough that we have to deal with the three weeks that that already killed the whole summer. So now we've got to deal with the high holidays also. So that'll be a disaster. So therefore... To be honest, that's not really our concern when Rosh Hashanah falls out. But our concern, Maimonides tells us, is that if we don't make an adjustment from time to time, we're going to have a problem with Pesach. Because although Pesach is on the 15th of Nisan, it's on the date of the 15th of Nisan, but the Torah tells us it must fall out in the springtime. Pesach is not only a holiday on the calendar, but it's a seasonal holiday. It has to be in spring. Chodesh Ha'aviv. Now, to many of you, you don't care when Pesach comes out because you go to Florida for Pesach anyway, so you couldn't care less if it was in the winter because you're going to a warm place anyway. But for those that are, let's say, you know, traditional, people, so therefore, if we're not going to adjust, for example, if we would not have a leap year this year, this year is a leap year, by the way, if we would not have that adjustment, now would be Nisan. And Friday would be the 15th of Nisan. This Friday would be Pesach. But it's still the winter. So it's got a problem. So you see what we do to keep Pesach always falling out in the spring. We add an extra month. And therefore we catch up. And then we fall back, we fall back. Back three years later, we add an extra month. So basically every three years, we add an extra month to the calendar. In order for the sole purpose to keep Pesach where it belongs. Now, the Arabs, for example, they also have a lunar calendar, but they don't have the adjustment. And therefore, Ramadan will always fall out in a different month, every year. You could have Ramadan in February, you could have Ramadan in July. They don't adjust it, they're not bound by the same law. So basically, there's three calendars. There's the calendar of the Gentiles, which we'll say is a solar calendar based on the sun, there's the Arab calendar that is a lunar calendar that's based on the moon. And then there's the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar calendar with a solar adjustment. That's what we have uh, in Maimonides. He tells us these laws over here. Wow, these guys had the best seat that you sat right in front of them. They got the worst seat. <laughs> Just goes to show you. Just goes to show you. The guy had the best seat in the house. Boom, right in front of the guy. Okay. 
So now, there you go. That's it. I got to right in front of the guy. The guy came in first. He was here from 7 o'clock. How's he doing? So now, so now, now the question is, of course, why do we double down on the month of Adar? My mommy says that's the month we chose, Adar. So there's Adar 1 and there's Adar 2. But technically, to make the adjustment, you could have added any month. I would have added the month of Hajvan. My birthday is in Hajvan. Maybe you pick up a couple extra birthday gifts on the second Hajvan. But the point is, why do we make the adjustment on Adar? Haramam doesn't give you the reason. I'd like to offer our members a, uh, a nice reason. I'd like to give you a reason. Maybe that's the reason, exactly. We know that whenever the month of Adar comes in, it's a jolly month. It's a happy month. As opposed, let's say, to the month of Av, which is a miserable month. Now, we don't want to double down on the month of Av. We don't even want the first Av, so let alone the second one. But if you have a month that's joyous, so the more the merrier, as they say. As a matter of fact, there's a rule. In rabbinics, they teach us, if a lady calls you up and says, Rabbi, a drop of milk fell into, fell into the soup, into the meat soup. So how do we answer? We say, how much soup do you have against the drop? She says, I have 60 against the drop. Oh, you have 60 against the drop. We employ the Jewish law of batel b'shishim. That if you have 60 times the isud, we're able to nullify mm-hmm. it. So the rabbis come along and say, everybody has one jaras in their life. Everybody has some sort of headache or agony. But in a leap year, you have 60 days of Adar, because you have two Adar, so our agony is batil b'shishim. Yeah. In the 60 days of Simcha, of Adar Aleph and Adar Bet. So therefore, it's a beautiful time to double up in order that our worries and our woes will be drowned out in the 60 days of Bitul, of the 60 days of Simcha. Beautiful. So that's the technical part of the, uh, of the Dirash. Uh, we... we we did good. And now, we bring you to a, a very interesting anomaly, a halachic anomaly. It's a $10 word. It's a, a riddle, but it's very odd, this riddle, but it's true. Because of this calendar leap year concept, we have a rare case in Jewish law where you could have two brothers. Reuven and Shimon. Two brothers. <clears throat> Twins. Reuven came out first. Shimon came out second. So Reuven is definitely the Bechor. He's the older and Shimon is the young. However, when it comes to the year of the Bar Mitzvah, Halakha will say that the younger one, Shimon, must be bar mitzvah first. A Jewish anomaly. Not because the Uvein has COVID. The reason is that Shimon has to be uh, uh, bar mitzvah first. Halachah says. Now that's strange. When do we say that the younger boy is bar mitzvah halachah before the older? So the halachah says, listen to the following scenario. Pay attention. The boys were born in a year like this. A leap year. Reuven was born on the 29th of Adar 1. Shimon was born on 1 
Adar two. Beauty. 13 years later, it was not a leap year, there was only one Adar. So when Reuven looks at his birthday, his birthday is 29. He's Bar at the end of the month. When Shimon looks at his birthday, he's born on one Adar. He's born, he's Bar on the beginning of the month. So if we have Shimon, the biologically younger child is going to be Bar Mitzvah 29 days prior of his older brother. An unbelievable case. And that's written in the Shohan Aruch, by the way. That is a halakha l'ma'aseh. Rare is it, is it as it is, but nonetheless it is halakha. You'll see in a moment how important this halakha I just told you is. There's another halakha that was brought down by a rabbi called Moshe Hagiz. Moshe Hagiz is one of our rabbis, Seferadi, American League, and he lived in the 1600s, he wrote a book called Halachot Ketanot. And in that book called Halachot Ketanot, he really believed this halakha about the two boys. And he showed us another halachic anomaly that will come out of this. Let me tell it to you. He said that there's a law that not only do you have to respect your parents, but the halakha says, you have to pay respect to your older brother. I remind that to my siblings all the time. The halacha says, kaved et avicha, from the word et, et comes to include, not only your parents, but you have to respect also your older brother. That's halacha. So says the halachot ketanot. In this case of Reuven and Shimon, where Reuven was born on 29 Adar 1, Biologically, he's the older brother. But Shimon was born on one Adar too, since he's being bar mitzvahed first. So he becomes a senior first. Therefore, in this case, it is Reuven that must show respect to Shimon. Even though Shimon is younger, since halakhically he's considered the older one, therefore he must receive the respect from his biologically older brother because he is the halachic older brother. Reuven, because of another story, Reuven came out first from the womb. I'm not changing that. That's biology. That's a fact. Pidyon, Reuven, came out of the womb first. So Pidyon goes after the womb. It's a fair question. But here now we're discussing who's the older one. So in this case, Shimon's the older one. Fantastic. Now, you can't believe Rabotai. You cannot believe how significant this, what I just told you is. Because Rabbi Hagiz then goes on in this piece and he says the following. After he presents his thesis, he says, That's in the vernacular we would say, and who knows? Which means now he's going to present a theory. Now he doesn't bring any proof to the theory. He has no rabbinical uh, proof to it or source to it. It's his own umiyodeya, meaning it's his own thesis, theory. Now, guess what? I will take this rabbi's miyodeya over a lot of rabbis' aniyodeya. Is <laughs> that what I just said? That means if you have a rabbi today that comes aniyodeya, I'm skeptical. But I'll take that rabbi in the 1600s that says miyodeya and say, yeah, I'll take your miyodeya, I'll take it. I'm more confident with his miyodeya than a lot of aniyodeya, put it that way. He says a big chetush. 
But in order to appreciate what he's going to say, I need to explain to you something. Is there a, a homage over here? What I'm telling you now comes primarily from a rabbi called the Maharsha. His comments are said in Masichet Sanhedrin on page 12. You could look at the Maharsha. I'm quoting it, you know, more or less verbatim. He says that don't underestimate a leap year. He says when there's a Jewish leap year, the Jews are militarily in a better position. Militarily. Whoa. I didn't know that that has anything to do with military, uh, you know, this way or that way. Extra month of the year, you move Pesach a month out. But Mahatma says, no. He says, our primary enemies are Yishma'el and Esav. Those are the two main enemies. By the way, if you go to the United Nations, half the rotunda is Western, which is Esav, and the other one is Eastern, which is uh, Ishmael, Arabs. It's 35 Western countries, 35 Arab countries. You've got a few in between. Basically, the rotunda is Yishmael and Esav. And you have the one sheep, which is the Israeli ambassador, poor guy sitting in the middle over there. And the 35 are fighting against the 35. But they all agree on one thing, that they hate the Israeli ambassador and they wish him dead. So therefore, they could all agree on that. So it's really the United Nations against Israel. <laughs> They don't, they don't add that to the title of it. They're united on one thing. They hate Israel. Everything else, they, they, they hate each other also, but they can agree on, on, on one item. And the Kahal will answer Amen when it comes to hating Israel. Fine. So, those are the two enemies. Now, we, we know something about these two enemies. First about Yishmael. Let me tell you about Yishmael. The end to the dot Yishmael ben Abraham. I'm reading at the end of Parashat Hayesara. So it says that they had tribes. These are the families of Yishmael. So the firstborn of Yishmael is Nebayot, Kedar, Adve'el, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa names. Uh, Hadad, Vetema. Listen to Yetur Nafish. Believe that a guy named this kid Yetur Nafish. And his brother's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so that's Yetur Nafish. <clears throat> so the Pasuk comes along and says, Shenem Asan Nisi'im. There's 12 families of Yishmael. That's the families of Yishmael. They're broken down into 12 primary families. There's five crime families, and there's 12 families of. And, the, and there's 12 families of Yishmael. So he says, well, we are made up of also 12 families. We have 12 tribes. So if they're going to put us up against Yishmael, it's 12 against 12. In football, they call that a pick'em. It's a, a toss-up. It's anybody's game. 12 against 12. It's even odds. Esav also gets its power from the 12 months because each month is under a different constellation. I'll talk about the zodiacs in a minute. They're 12 solar months. 
correspond to 12 zodiacs which actually control the system of Mazal, and therefore they also have a power of 12 in their months. And they come against us with the 12 tribes. So if we're going to go against Ishmael, it's 12 against 12. If we go against Esav, it's the same 12 against 12. It's a pickum. Except. Except says the Maharsha and Elipia. Because in Elipia, what happens to B'nai Yisrael, we take the lead. And we now go from 12 to 13. Now, I know you're going to ask me, but there's only 12 tribes. How do you go from 12 tribes to 13 tribes? You, you, just, you just generated a, spontaneously a new family? Well, if you remember that before Yaakov Abinu died, he called his son Yosef into his office, and he split him in half. And he said, you're going to be two tribes, so the Zohar HaKadosh says that in a leap year, we look at B'nai Yisrael as 13 tribes. I will point out that Yosef was also compared to, at that moment, by his father. Each one of the tribes was compared to a different uh, animal. Yosef was compared to fish. And that's why the month of Adar, its zodiac is Pisces, which is fish, because that corresponds to Yosef. When you have two Adars, it's two fish, which means it's split into. 12 and 13. So says Maharsha that in a leap year when B'nai Yisrael have 13, we have the advantage over Yishmael as well as Esav. Are you following so far? Now this is, this, this is fascinating. So militarily we're in a better position. That's why, by the way, you see something that's very odd. The Goyim throughout history always were trying to get rid of certain mitzvot that we fulfill. For example, Shabbat. They always made decrees against Shabbat. I understand. They're jealous. They're all working like dogs and we're taking off and relaxing. They resent Shabbat. They made laws against Kashrut. Of course, they want us to patronize their restaurants. They build these beautiful restaurants and we're only eating kosher. So therefore, they want to go against it. Some people go anyway. But the point is, but the point is, one of the laws that they go after, like we learned in Hanukkah, is Rosh Chodesh. Exactly. What do you care about Rosh Chodesh? What does the Goy care if we make Rosh Chodesh? If you, if you see an anti-Semite on the street, you tell him, by the way, today's Rosh Chodesh Adar. Hey, you stupid Jew. What do you care? What do you care about Rosh Chodesh Adar? What does it bother you? I understand the other items that it bothers you that we have Rosh Chodesh. It's like, by the way, a lot of Jews don't even care about Rosh Chodesh, let alone the anti-Semite. That's the last thing I would think he cares about. But now I understand why. Because through the system of establishing Rosh Chodesh and leap years, that gives us the advantage. And they know that when there's 13 months in the year, B'nai Yisrael already that year has a tremendous advantage over Yishmael, that is 12, and Esav, that is also 12. So therefore they try to eradicate that. So far, so good. I will remind you also that one of the unluckiest numbers by the Goim is what? 13. 13, for good reason. You won't find it on one elevator. They build their building, oh, they're unlucky number 30. Why is it such an unlucky number? Because it's a lucky number for us. 
So therefore, since it's a lucky number for us, 13, it becomes an unlucky number for them. Because they know, once we enter the realm of 13... Oh, but this is the first thing new you heard, Mr. Adam. I spoke for 20 minutes. This is the first new thing you heard. With all due respect. No, I know that sketch. That's a new item. I gave you 20 minutes of Adushim over here. And you tell me that's a new item. I know that. We should do that in Mag and David, that sketch. Now watch, watch. Don't, no, 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 what are you doing over here? Don't, no, 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 I don't need help. I don't need help. Now, Botai, when I need help, I'll call on the, uh, the peanut gallery to help. Now, Botai, let's continue. So you see something incredible. Militarily, we're much better off when it comes to a, uh, when it comes to a leap year. 13 months. But where did it start from it? When did we get this power? So the Halachot Ketanot says, Umi this is his uh, hypothesis. He says there was a famous set of twins in Jewish history. Obviously one was older biologically and one was younger. But when the mother of these twins came to the rabbi, the rabbi told this mother that the older one will serve the younger one. And the reason why he said that the older one will serve the younger one is because Esav and Yaakov were twins. Esav was born on the 29th of Adar 1 and Yaakov, he says, was born on one of Adar two. So it's true, Esav was biologically older. But the rabbi said, since Yaakov's bar mitzvah first, because he's the first of Adar 13 years later, the Yaavod Sa'ir, the older one must give respect to the younger one, because the younger one's really the older one in Jewish law. And that's why... Don't think for a second when they say, oh, Yaakov stole the blessings from his older brother. Wrong. Yaakov was the older brother. Only once Yaakov, no, since he was bar mitzvah first, 13 years later, finished. He beat him to the, to, to, the, to the end of the marathon. He beat him to the bar mitzvah. He became an adult first. And therefore, nobody comes, oh, he scooched his father. He went and they took the marathon. Poor Issa, poor guy with the first. What do you thought? We don't follow uh, Gregorian law. We follow Jewish law. And in Jewish law, it comes along and says, <coughs> Yaakov is the Bechor, in truth. And therefore, that's why Rabbi Abod Sa'ir. And that's why Yaakov is born in a leap year. And therefore, Yaakov's power is in month 13. Whereas Esav's power is only in month 12. And therefore, that's where the power of Yaakov emanates from. It comes from the power of being born in Adarbet. And once you're born in Adarbet, finish. There's no way that Esav can have a hold. <coughs> oh, I'll, I'll give you further. It's unbelievable stuff. I'll give you further. These are secrets that I'm revealing to you tonight in about time. Furthermore, there is a famous Hizkuni. Hizkuni al Torah is one of the commentators. And he says that in the Perashah that we're going to read on Purim Day, 
we read about one of the early wars between Moshe and our people against Amalek. Remember when we came out of Egypt? Moshe did not lead the uh, people to war. He actually appointed his student Yehoshua to lead the war. In that uh, instruction that Moshe tells Yehoshua, he says, Behar lanu anashim Choose men and they will go fight Amalek. Now what was the credential, what was the criteria that Yeshua was looking for? Obviously he had to choose. Now what was he looking for? Now, the soldiers, says the Haskuni that Yeshua chose, did not have to be vaccinated. That was not... I mean, today they would look for that, but in those days he didn't care about that. But the Haskuni says something incredible. He says, choose soldiers that were born in Adar Bet. Unbelievable. He says, so Yoshua went with license. Let me see your license. He looks at the birthday. You Adar Bet, baby? You can fight. Says Haskuni, you know why? Because Amalek does not stand a chance against somebody that's born in Adar Bet. Why? Why, but why? So he says something amazing. It's Kabbalistic, but I'll try to explain it to you in a simple way. Because that's the best way I understand it. Every month has a mazal. I'm uh, not saying November time, so that's Scorpio. And you have some people that are Capricorn or Gemini. or that. Okay, everybody can tell me what they are after the class. The point is, everybody, everybody has a different, a different uh, sign. I'm not telling you to read your horoscopes or fortune cookies. It's a fact, but everybody's under a different mazal. There's only one month that does not have a mazal, and that's the leap year month. It's not under any... There's only 12 constellations, not 13. If you look at the signs of the zodiac, there's 12, not 13. What does that do? Says the Hiskuni, as long as there's a zodiac, there's something that our enemies can sabotage. Imagine zodiacs like wires. So they can come and voodoo and use their black magic and cross the wires up and therefore use the powers of the zodiac against us. But when it comes to leap year, they come to start playing with the wires. Matthew Wires. Matthew, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's an, and therefore the mazal is blank. The mazal is invisible. It's Rome. There's no mazal. And therefore when they come along to sabotage, they can't sabotage. And therefore he looked for all people that were born in Adarbet that are not subject to any sabotage of mazal. So when Amalek came out there, they started shooting all their voodoo no targets, empty targets, and then they were lame duck, and therefore they were able to overcome them. It's an incredible hadush that those that are in Adar Bet, or the month of Adar Bet, has those, those powers. Now once we get to this point, I had a, a question, I'm going to raise it tonight to our members. The holiday that's coming up, as we know, is called Purim. Anybody, again, in 10,000 words or less, because the time is a vessel here, without making a whole long dirash tonight, just make it short. I'm, I'm opening it to the crowd now, taking a risk. Can anybody tell me why the holiday is called Purim? Beautiful. That's the easiest way to say. Just quote the Pasuk. 
Ezra quoted the Pasuk, which is the brightest way to answer that question. Al Shem Hapuri says it's because there was a lottery. In Hebrew, a lottery is called Pur. Haman took a lottery, and the lottery landed on the 13th of Adar, which is Wednesday, by the way. That's the anniversary of the day that Haman chose. And therefore, against that lottery, we call the holiday Purim. And I asked a very simple, I'm calling it a layman's question. Why is that the name of the holiday? The lottery was actually a tragic part of the story. That's the day he picked to annihilate men, women, and children to fulfill in his mind the final solution and the extermination of Jews. Why would you name the holiday from his lottery that was an extermination lottery? Now, I'm not saying don't name the holiday. I would have named it because the lottery ended up turning into our favor. I got no problem. Call it Yom Yeshua. Call it the holiday of Hatzalah. Call it the holiday of Nes. The poor was really not uh, our item, favorable for us. The poor actually was a tragic item. I understood it turned around. So call the holiday, turn around. That should be the holiday, the turnabout. Understand my question? It's not a question of the Zohar. It's a basic question. Why do you name it? What do you name it? Simple question. If you have an answer, I'm willing to hear it. My second question is, why the plurality? Purim. As far as I know, he took one lottery. I mean, we don't say Pesachim. It's Pesach. Now, you're going to say, oh, Sukkot. Sukkot. I, I knew that you're thinking. I know you're thinking that. <laughs> But Sukkot, I have an answer for that. Because we're celebrating the two different types of Sukkot. The clouds of glory and the huts in the Midbar. So it's two types of Sukkot. Shavuot is plural because we count seven weeks to the holiday. So Shavuot is plural. Hanukkah is one. It's a Hanukkot. So why would it, even if you want to name it after the lottery, name the holiday Pur. Which I don't even think we should name it Poon. But even if you're going to convince me, ah, Rabbi, that's the right name. Trust me, it's the right name. As I give it to you, it's the right name. Okay. But why do you have to call it Purim? Just call it Purim. So I went back in history. Don't ask me how I do these things. I was able to search a calendar of the year of the miracle of Purim. I went all the way back to the PTA that was running the calendar at <laughs> the times of the Hajj. I went to the yeshiva, you know, the Hillel in the 1948 BC when I went to the Hillel, was over there. And I got a calendar from the PTA. <clears throat> and I saw something amazing. It's actually, well, of course, I'm not going to do that. I opened up the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud in Masechet Megillah says black and white that the year of the miracle, there was 13 months in the year, there was two Adars that year. The miracle of Purim happened in a leap year. Just like this year. It was a leap year. Now watch this. That's a trivia question, by the way. There was a leap year. And Haman went to pick his lottery. And you're never going to guess 
when it says in Megillat Esther that the 13th of Adar came out, what the Yerushalmi says was, it was 13 Adar 2. Now, if you're Haman, and you're a bright guy, and you know that Yeshua chose only the Adar Bet guys to kill your grandfather Amalek, and you know that Yaakov was born in Adar Bet, and that's why he overrides Esav, when he saw that the lottery picked Adar Bet, you know what Esav should, you know what Haman should have done? Either do over, or he should have said pass. You know what? The lottery is not favorable for me. It was one in 13. And what day came out? 13 13. By the way, the worst number that could come out for a, for a goy 13 13. It's the 13th day of the 13th month. 13 13. I mean, the building will come right down on him. He's got to run when he sees those two numbers, 13-13. Instead, what does Haman say? Forward march! How do you explain it? I'll explain it to you very simple. You ever hear the saying, everybody's over 18 here, right? You ever hear the saying, love is blind, Hate is blinder. When somebody's consumed with hate, you don't see things straight. The hate causes a person to lose his sense of objectivity and you can't see things for what they really are. Hate blinds a person. Haman had such a hatred of the Jew that he wanted to kill them so much that even though he saw with his own eyes that the lottery was against him. But he said, you know what? So what? And guess what? Because, <coughs> because he let himself get blinded by hate. Where did he end up three days later? He was hung on a tree. He fulfilled verbatim what the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot. motzi adam min ha'olam. Literally. That when a person is filled with hate, it will remove him from the world. Haman is the paradigm of that Mishnah. He should have said pass, but instead he says, we're still going to go forward with it. His hatred ended up causing who to get lost from the world? Not the Jew. <laughs> Himself. Now watch this. Question we have is I want to know the mechanism of that lottery that happened on that day that Haman chose the lottery. Now, either you could tell me it was just bad luck on Haman's standpoint that he picked like a, a very good month for us and a very bad month for him. That, that could have been it's one out of 13, it's not such you know, terrible odds. But I found a rabbi called the Bnei Saschar in his last piece on Purim. He says, no, that's not what happened. He says, you know why the lottery came out on our favorable month, the 13th Adar, which is the militarily successful month for us? It's number 13 over 12. Now hold on to your seats. He says what we call in lottery business sometimes, in the Kizminyan raffle, 
it was a fix. <laughs> well, as they said in the elections, it was rigged. You believe it? He says it was rigged. Unbelievable. Now, who, who rigged it? It was a rigged lottery. Now, he says, nowhere in Megillat Esther <coughs> does it say, listen again, nowhere in Megillat Esther does it say that Haman picked a lottery. Mm-hmm. Now, when I read that, I right away opened that Megillat and said, oh, there's got to be a person. It can't be. It's a bold statement. But he said, I'll tell you the Pasuk, don't search, I'll tell you the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Hipil Pur, Hu Hagoral, Haman. Now, let's explain the word simply. Hipil Pur. Explain. What is it, Hipil? He picked. What did he pick? A Pur. He picked a lottery. Hu Hagoral. That is the lottery that he picked. Hold it. Who picked? It, does, it says, the lottery was in front of Haman. But it does not say who picked. It just says, it leaves the who unknown. Shouldn't it have said, then say it. He picked a lottery. Says the Bnei Yisachar, Haman stuck his hand in the pig, and he actually picked a favorable month for Haman. And all of a sudden, the Malach came and moved his hand. You know, you do that sometimes. Your hand touches a couple of them, and you move it. That's the angel playing around over there. And all of a sudden, his hand picked up one. He dropped it. He went to another one. But he picked it up. Ultimately, God drew that lot, and therefore. Who lost the lottery that day? Haman. And who won the lottery that day? B'nai Yisrael, because God picked it. No better name for the holiday than to call it Purim, because we're signifying that it was the lottery that God picked for us in order to ultimately save us after we would make the Shuvah. So therefore the name Purim represents the actual choosing of the lots by God himself. Hence the plural name. Purim means what Haman tried to do, he picked his pur, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu changed his pur to our pur. So it's Purim. We are contrasting the lottery of Haman that failed and became our lottery. Evantem? That's the sword of Purim. And therefore, we start to understand something beautiful now in the Megillah. If you understand this point, now we can go and start to delve into some of the pits who came in the Megillah. That's, a, I think, a fair introduction to what we came uh, to do here tonight. That is a very, very well-grounded introduction to get to the point that we can. No, that's, I think it's a fair introduction. I think now we're at the point where we can start delving into some of the Pesukim in the Gilat Esther. There's one Pasuk in the Gilat Esther, Rabotai, that caught my attention. Yeah, Megillat Esther over here in the end of the book, I think. Here it is. 
Queen Esther, right, they're beautiful. So if you look at the... Um, at the end of the Megillah, when it comes along and it says... Bishnem Asar Chodesh, Hu Chodesh Adar, the 12th month, month of Adar. And the Bnei Saskar will say, it means the 12th month that is called Adar, but that year was actually the 13th month that was called Adar. So he has to play with those Pesukim, because really the miracle happened in the 13th month, which means this year we're celebrating Purim as it was. So when Purim happens in a leap year, why do we celebrate Purim in the second month? Because that's when it happened. Otherwise, ask yourself a question. To celebrate in the first month. Did he see Maktimim No. We push it to the second month because we want to commemorate it exactly when it happened. Now watch. Basuk says, So the Pasuk says like this. And it was in the 12th month, Mishnev Asar Chodesh, Shlosha Asar Yom Bo, 13th day, Asher Higia Debaramev Atol Asot, Bayom, it was the day Asher Siberu Oyebeh HaYehudim. It was the day that the enemies, Oyebeh HaYehudim, the enemies, Oyev, that they planned Lishlot Bahim, to attack us, to dominate us. Then hafuchu, and it what it switched. Asher yishletu hayehudim. Instead of them overcoming us, the Jewish people overcame them. Asher yishadu hayehudim hema b'son ehem. We overcame our enemies. Now I notice in this pasuk, it refers to the enemies in two ways. In the beginning, it says, Asher sibiru oyeve hayehudim. In one language, it calls the enemies an oyev. Then it says, Hema besonehem. It calls it a soneh. I don't know. Is there a difference between an oyev and a soneh? I guess the same question on Rosh Hashanah. Hazak Baruch. Hazak Baruch. What, remind me of Rosh Hashanah what has to do with it. Uh, I don't know, but when you, go, when you go through all the fruits and the, all the things... Well, oh, why are we Very good, that's where it is. She'elah metzuyenet. What? But here in Mikinat Esther, we got Oyev, Oyebeayu. Now, unless you tell me, come on, there's a difference. So I cannot deny to you that the Gaon Mevilna does... Explain a difference in an Oyev and Sone. He says, an Oyev is an anti Semite that doesn't only talk to talk, but he actually does something. He, he meets it out. A Sone, he's actually an anti Semite that has a big bark, but he's scared. But he's happy when everybody else does it. Exactly. He's happy when the other guys are doing it, but he's a scaredy cat. He's called the Sone. So therefore the Pasuk would be read like this. Asher Sibiru Oyebeha Yehudim, the Oyevim, the Shlot Bahim. They actually wanted to dominate. Venafuhu, Asher Shletu Ayehudim, 
the Yehudim not only got the Oibim, but Hemma Bissoreim, they even went after the people that were inciting. Not only did they go after the Oibim, but they even went after the Sonim. They got them both. Let's go over the explains the Pasuk. Nice Pshat. But I want to introduce to you what I found in the Benu Bahya. And it's the Ramban also. Bahya writes that the Oyeb and the Soneh are two different enemies. One is the Nutsrim and one is the Yishma'ilim. These are the two arch enemies of Kla Yisrael. There's the Oyev and there's the Soneh. Now, who is the Oyev and who is the Soneh? So says the Berubahya, the Soneh is Esav. Shene'emar Esav Soneh Yaakov. Ve'et Esav Saneti. We know that whenever we talk about the one that's the Soneh, that is always a reference to Esav. The Pasuk refers to him, he is the Soneh Yehudim, Esav, and all his descendants. So who's the Oyev, says the Bahya? That is referring to Ishmael. And he writes, and this is his, his theory, he says the Oyev is even worse than the Soneh. He says, as, as bad as you think the Soneh is, the Yishmael is even more crueler than the, uh, than, the, than the Soneh. And he says that's why they call the Oyev, because there's a Hebrew word when a person is in trouble, he says, Oy va'avoy. You hear that word, va'avoy? Oy ve'avoy. Oy va'avoy. Hebrew, Oy va'avoy. Va'avoy is the same otiot as Oyev. He says, because when the Oyev comes after you, everybody puts their hand on their Oh, va'avoy. That's Yishmael. That's his opinion. I guess they lived in countries where Yishmael was uh, you know, persecuting them. Like the Ura Haim Gadosh writes in this week's Perashah, look over there on the beginning, where he talks about how Yishmael did to the Jews in North Africa, and he says they were the, they were the most ruthless people. But nonetheless, it's referring to two enemies. Oh. So wait. It seems in Megillat Esther, we had an Oyev, and we had a Soneh. Now, I know who the Soneh is. The Soneh is Haman. Haman is direct descendant from Esav, from Amalek. But who's the Oyev? Oh, says the Maharal, that Malchut Paras Umadai comes from the line of Yishmael. And therefore, in Migilat Esther, Rabotai, you know who was coming after us? Both of them. That's why it was the most severe gezerah in history. That's why you'll never find a gezerah as severe as the story of Purim, where they wanted to kill all of us in one day. Even Hitler, Yemashimon, I'm not defending him, Yemashimon, he wanted to kill all of us, but he gave himself four or five years to do it. In this case, it was so bold. They wanted to get up on the 14th day of Adad, the next day. That's it. The Jews would be extinct. Not an endangered species. Extinct. One day. 
Where does it come from? We never saw a Gezerah that had such a boldness to eradicate entire people in one day. Where did it come from? Because it was coming not from the Oyev and not from the Soneh. It was coming from combination. When the Hasverosh and Haman get together, and don't kid yourself, Ahasverosh was just as ruthless as Haman. I will prove it to you. I just have to make a point to you. At the end of the day, listen, what I'm telling you is a very, very deep. Queen Esther comes into the palace and she tells the king, there's an enemy. And he says, and this enemy over here, what does she mean to say? This enemy does not care about the loss of the king. What do you mean she doesn't care about the loss of the king? The Gemara says what she told Ashverosh was, he wants to kill all of the Jews. You know how much money you're going to lose? You could turn them into slaves. And if you turn them into slaves, you'll get all that revenue from them. You'll get all that taxes from them. He doesn't care about all that monetary loss. Look at the loss that he's incurring to the king. So far, so good. So what is Hashanah thinking? Money. Now Hashanah is all upset. He goes to the garden. Haman now is begging Queen Esther, please don't kill me. The Malach came from behind him and threw him on the bed. Now he's on the bed, he's on Esther. Hashanah walks back in and he thinks that Esther is being molested by Haman. So what does he say? Hagam the Kbush, the Malkami, Babayit. Now you want to take my wife? Hang him. But I want to ask you a question. Why did the Hasverosh hang Haman? Was it because of his love of the Jews or because of his hatred of Haman? He didn't love the Jews, Hasverosh. He killed him because he thought he's taking his wife. He killed him because he thought he's taking money away from him. He had no love lost between him and the Jews, Hasverosh. He did it because he hated Haman. Now guess what? You know what I say? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what the reason is. That's what it means, by the way, when we say you have to drink on Purim. How much do you have to drink until? But you cannot tell the difference between Baruch Haman. Sorry, I don't care. I didn't even drink anything yet. You can't tell the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Arun Haman. Now what does that mean? I mean, you have to drink a lot. <laughs> that you won't be able to deliver. Baruch, Mordecai, we know that. What does it mean to drink that you won't know the difference? Explanation is like this. Sometimes the Goy is going to save the Jew. You know why he's going to save the Jew? Because he likes the Jew. Baruch Mordecai. But a lot of times, you know why he saves the Jew? Not because of Baruch Mordechai. Because Arun Haman. He just hates Haman. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And therefore, you know what we say? We don't care what the difference is. As long as we get saved, we don't care if they're saved because they like us or because they hate the other guy. 
Main thing is, we get saved. And Hazrush is the perfect example. He wasn't saving us because of Baruch Mordechai. He was saving us, why? Arun Haman. He didn't like Haman. He wasn't such a favorable guy against for the Jews. But you know what? So what? As long as everybody lives happily ever after, we don't care what the Kavanah of the Azverosh is. You know? It's not Mitzvot Sinichot Kavanah over here. We're not measuring the Kavanot of Azverosh. We're measuring him by the results. I don't care how you got to the result. So when you drink, you say, you know what? Who cares if it was Baruch Mordechai or Arun Aman? You know what? They're both good. So long as what? Like who did my ta'orabasimha? You following? Now watch this. So Hajarosh was no Jew lover, by the way. We know that. Now watch this. The Gemara says they're in the Esther's at the party. And all of a sudden, Hashirosh says, Who's the guy? Who's the guy that wants to kill all the Jewish people? So she says, Now, how do we always learn this? She's pointing to Haman. The Gemara says, No. Initially, she was pointing to Hashirosh. And the angel came along and moved the figure. And I asked a simple question. How does the Gemara know that? Where do you see in this pasuk anywhere that an angel came and moved? Because what did I tell you? Haman is the Oyev or the Soneh. He's the Soneh. He's from Esav. So the pasuk says, Ishar ve'oyev. Who's the Oyev? Ahasveros. So therefore, from the fact that the pasuk used the word Oyev, Ishar ve'oyev, she was originally pointing to Hazverot, then I moved his head and he said, ala You see how Meduyak it is? Is that good? So therefore, Rabotai, in this story, you have a classic example of Yishmael and Esav coming against us. Yishmael with his 12 families represented in Hazverosh, and Esav with his 12 months of the constellations. And what are we coming with? A leap year. <laughs> Couldn't have felt out better. When these two enemies came against us, the Oyev and the Soder, and their intention was to break the 12. But that year we weren't 12. That year it was plus one. And better, the lottery came out in the worst month for the Goyim, in 13. The number that they try to eradicate from every building that they build and every elevator. The unlucky 13 was actually the lucky 13 of Kla Yisrael. And it was on that day, that we were able to dominate. Thousands of years later, we now find ourselves in the same 13th month. And we start to see what's going around the world today. We start to see the rumblings. The rumblings before Mashiach. The rumblings of Esav. Interesting. In this case, Esav fighting Esav. Story of Russia and Ukraine. Of course, we have to be concerned about the Jews that are caught in the crossfire, but this is not something against the Jews. We have to pray and we have to work as best as we can to get the Jews out of the way so both sides can succeed. 
<laughs> don't, don't, don't fall into any narratives. The poor Ukrainians. There's more blood in that earth more than anywhere in the world, the blood of innocent Jewish people, what they did over there. Some even say worse than the Nazis. And I will tell you something. And I will conclude with this the hours later of what time, especially for me. It's a big question. It's a big question. Two days from now, we have a fast day. It's called Tanitis Dead. Anybody know why we fast? Don't tell me because Queen Esther fasted before she went to Hashvidosh. That was a three-day fast. We're not fasting three days. So why do, and that wasn't on the 13th of Adar either. That was in Nisan before. So what are we fasting on the 13th of Adar for? The Rosh explains because on the day that Jewish people went to war, they fasted. So they'd be successful. And since it was the 13th of Adar that we went to protect ourselves from those Amalek people, and they fasted, so we fast to commemorate. I asked a simple question. By the way, I'm sure when they went to Hashmonaim and fought against the Greeks on the day before Hanukkah, they fasted. I come fast before Hanukkah. I mean, every time, Pesach, they went to work against the Egyptians, they fasted. We never fast before, maybe time Bechorot. But why, why all of a sudden, this holiday, Purim, because they fasted, we fast. My, my occasion. So I need to tell you what the holy books say. It's a big secret, but it's a big item. Many people don't know this. The Gezerah of Haman was decreed in heaven. The Zorah Kadosh says, when it says it was sealed with the stamp of the king, that anything that's sealed with the signet of the king in the Hashiv. And the Zohar says, anytime it says the word Hamelech in Megillat Esther, it's referring to God as well. So, Ki Chetav, Asher Nechtam V'Nechtam B'Tabaat Hamelech El Hashiv. If God stamped that decree against the Jewish people, in the Hashiv, <coughs> you can't retract it. What do you mean you can't retract it? But it didn't come to fruition. Says the Vishim Shon Mastropoli, Hashem Yimkom Damav. The Gezerav Haman was not cancelled, it was deferred. You ever hear deferred payment? You know, buy now, pay later? That's what happened to Megidat Esther. We dodged a bullet in Haman's time, but that bullet would catch up to us many years later. The Gezerav Haman came to fruition. Just not at the time of Megillat Esther. And that's why he says, the Mekubalim write, that's why we had to fast every single year on Ta'anit Esther in order to protect us from the, from the upcoming, from the deferred payment. Because the story of Purim is continual. There's installments now that are paid on a yearly basis. It was the year 1648. He 
in Ukraine. The year was Tah, Tafhet, 5408 on the Hebrew calendar, which corresponds 1648 on the secular calendar. You have the Cossacks, Chemenlinki, which was one of the worst Hitlers of his time. General in the in the in the, in the Cossacks of Ukraine, and they went and they bludgeoned in the most torturous ways over three hundred thousand Jews. Now let me tell you something. In his time, they didn't have the machine that Hitler had. They killed each one manually. You know what that means to go kill three hundred thousand manually by hand, the old-fashioned way. You know what type of bludgeoning, what type of torture that was? This was one of the greatest tragedies in Jewish history. Look what happened in Ukraine, 1648. 300,000 Jews gone, entire communities, synagogues, the Torah, the Ashkenazim. They make a fast on the 20th of Sivan when it started. Till today, they fast on the 20th of Sivan, Tav Sivan. Don't think that this is a small item. What happened to Yetah? Says the Bishop Shomasrapoli. If you look at Megillat Esther, in the beginning of Megillat Esther, we have a word, Hur Karpasut Chelet. The head of Hur is written big. It's a big head. If you look at the end of Megillat Esther, this is Vatichtov Esther. The taf of Vatikhtov is written big. The Megillah is coming to tell you that what didn't happen in Megillat Esther, stay tuned for the year Tafhet. 5408. Ukraine. What Haman didn't do in this Megillah, it will happen in the future. Milhama la Hashem ba'amalek. We're going to read on Purim the milhama of God ba'amalek. Midor dor. And if you read the word dor dor, it's written dar da. It's not written with a vav. Dalid resh, dalid resh. Midor dor. Dalid resh is how much? 204. And 204? It's 408. That's tafet. The war of Amalek is going to be in Dar Dar in year 408. is Yudalid. Yudalid is Purim. But Purim will be deferred. Kiyad al Kes. Kes Sivan. What was supposed to happen on Yad would happen on Kes. Kiyad al-kis. Yudalit would end up tafsibat. Midar dar in the year tafhet. And now we come exactly again in the leap year. The year 13. And now look what Bori Olam is doing to that part of the world. Now Bori Olam before Mashiach comes is settling all the old bills. Setting all the old... Exactly. 
So therefore, don't think that there's any coincidences over here why it's happening in Alipia, why it's happening before Purim, all these things. And this does not mean that we're not concerned about the Yehudim, because this is not about the Yehudim. We have to save the Yehudim and get them clear, like I said, away from this. But this is happening in a part of the world that was very unfavorable. You don't know that part of history. Because it's not our history. Sfaradim have their own history in the Inquisition. We don't have any really history in that part of the world. But Ashkenazim, they know this coldest history. A lot of the keynote on Tisha B'Av is about what happened in Ukraine. And therefore, at this time, in the 13th month, which is a favorable month for us, it's the month of Purim, where Borei Olam picked month 13, that we have the dominance over Yishmael and Esav. And at the same time, Borei Olam is now bringing the vengeance. All those Sunim throughout the generations that came against us, before Mashiach comes, now Borei Olam is starting to, like we say in the song on Purim, El Ose Nekama, El Ose Nekama, Borei Olam is taking the sweet revenge as we call it. Although the pundits don't understand it as we understand it through the books, <clears throat> but this is what's happening. And for us, again, we just have to pray that it should be berachamim v'lo bedin, it should be, you know, in mercy. But for us, we should sleep very good. As long as we're in a leap year, we know that be'azat Hashem, the pasuk is going to be fulfilled. V'nahafuchu, just like it happened in Megillah, exactly the same time by Yemim Ebers Manazeh. Asher yishletu ha-Yehudim, that's going to come again this year, that the Yehudim will have dominance. Hema besonehem. Hence, Purim is the name of the holiday. Because Haman's pur was rigged by God and became our pur. The lottery actually was a loss for Haman and a win for Yisrael. Yehudim haita ora besemcha besasom bikar. Stop with me. Thank <laughs> you.